0: Welcome, everyone, to Man Up, the men's mental health podcast. My name is Andy Richardson, and sitting next to me is the sexy Tommy Danquah.
1: That was your best one, yeah. That was your best one, yeah. I'll take that. The sexy Tommy Danquah. Not stupendous, not splendiferous. I'm sexy. Straight up sexy, new year, new me.
0: Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. So this is our second one of 2019, and... um, It's going to be, uh, again, a special one. They're always very special. But this one is um, our first international podcast. Man up goes international. Yeah, so we've flown, the two of us have flown all the way over to the United States. Yep, there we are. Um actually that's a lie. Um <laughs> we've used uh, technology. Uh we've actually used technology very badly. Um so I'm the I'm the technical one of the pair. I'm the one that does all the wiring up and the editing and stuff like that. But um there's nothing, no no amount of technical know how can sort out a bad connection. Um on a skype call and it well, it's not a bad connection as you will hear, um the the we can hear him very well but we had this sort of weird sort of all the way through in the background weird sort of electrical hum which i'll try and do i'll try and do a bit of editing hopefully you won't really notice it but uh with my anal ears uh, there's a weird That's, thought wow. isn't it there we go hang on anal ears <laughs> <Just Hey.
1: laughs> Sorry, you might have to cut this out. <laughs> I'm
0: sorry, sorry, yeah. Ah, <clears throat> throat> <clears throat> throat> that's right, that's right. Don't, don't, that one, um, yeah, well, that was definitely a first, yeah. Um, wow. I, I, yes, I i do care about the quality of these podcasts, uh, so we have to keep a certain quality, but anyway, they're,
1: they're your babies, aren't they? They're your
0: babies, they're both of our babies, they're yes, babies. yeah. So, anyway, so uh we've had we we've because we've been going for a couple of months we've actually had people listen to it and we've had someone from the states contact us and um tommy uh i'll leave it to you to to describe who who this man is
1: yeah well um well i don't really know what to say (laughs) Where, where you always come with a superlative to describe me in the morning i can't think of enough to describe this guy um so the, well, the gentleman's name is Frank. Yeah. We'll do the filling strokes later. He is a uh, he's a mental health comedian. Wow. Now, right there, you go. Now, instantly, you're thinking like you're joking about mental health and suicide. May I add? Yeah. Uh, and um, <clears throat> so we've made contact. Uh, and the guy's phenomenal. Yeah. He yeah. is a comedian. He's a public speaker. He does TED talks. Author. I mean, the guy is amazing, and um. I'll we'll post some links I think to some of his talks and TED talks he's done, but yeah, absolutely amazing. So I I was so excited to get him on the show, yeah. And um, I don't know if we're going to jump into this or not, but I just don't well, think well, that...
0: well, we've just finished talking to him, and and we're both sort of blown away by by him really because um, he's hilarious, as as you'll you'll find out, some amazing sound bites and some amazing insights in, into into mental health and the culture around mental health, yeah. specifically depression and suicide. Um, and he makes some very, very good points. So rather than us bigging him up too much and going on about what he says, why don't we actually listen to what he says?
1: Let's do that. But what before we do that, time
0: on tradition, how are you? Oh, how am I? Oh, have we not said that yet. I have said that. Oh, my gosh. Keep um, it quick so I want to get to the talk. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, well, I'm, today I'm, I'm a little bit... Um, Bit sort of, well, we, weary. After I went, I went to a remembrance service. A lovely remembrance service yesterday of, um, some, someone I know. And and uh, yeah, afterwards there was a lot of free drink and and um, uh, lots of food. And uh, yeah, so uh, I, I'm yeah today. I might sound sort of jovial, uh, but um, inside I'm sort of dying a little bit, if I'm if I'm honest. So that's how I own yourself. Uh, well, well
1: you've been brave enough. You manned up, you manned up and you came in, didn't you? I
0: i have to, yeah. I mean, I am on a, i am on a sofa and sort of like sort of vaguely horizontal. And uh if, if this was a video podcast, <laughs> I, I'd need a lot of makeup, put it that way.
1: Well we've got the faces for podcasts, haven't we? We've definitely got <laughs> the faces for
0: podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um so, so should we? Should we, oh, and let's, you haven't told me how you are. Sorry, I'm, fi- I'm fine, thanks. Oh great, let's go. <laughs> yeah, I don't give a <laughs> shit really. Let's get on with it. Right.
1: Listen, ladies and gentlemen. Um, well, what's his name? What is his name? His name is Frank and um, Frank King.
0: Frank King, the mental health comedian, and um, here we go. Let's get into it. Tommy, I'm gonna let you introduce this yeah, one because you because you uh uh you reached out to Frank so so. Over to you, young man.
1: (laughs) Okay, ladies and gentlemen, uh, really excited to have our first international guest on the show. We have the wonderful Frank King, also known as the mental health comedian. Now, we've known of you for a little while, a few weeks now. We've been excited to have you on the show. But it turns out we've known you, actually, a bit longer than that, since way back in (laughs) 1994 from the music video of from the Connells seventy four seventy five, Frank, how did that come about? That,
2: that is correct. I am an I am unknown in the U.S., but I'm an international superstar in in <laughs> uh, in Britain, in Europe, in Israel. It turns out I'm also uh, yeah. I went to Broughton Senior High School in Raleigh, North Carolina, with the although I didn't know them at the time, the Connells and or as we say here, the Canals, oh, and. Okay. Yes, and I got a phone call, I guess, 20 years, 19 years post-graduation. Uh, we're doing this video. It's a song called seventy-four seventy-five about the graduating classes of 74 and 75. Would you like to be in the video? And as uh, as you know, with musicians, the next line was, there's no money in it for you. I <laughs> um, <laughs> that's how, you know, that's uh, – there's there, we have jokes over here about musicians. What do you call a um, – a uh, saxophone player with uh, with medical insurance, married. Thank you. Um, <laughs>
0: it's exactly the same over here. I can tell you that, though. You, you, you. In fact, it's it's almost like, especially when you're starting out, you have to pay to play. You know, you yeah. don't get paid. So, so we hear you. We hear you. Yeah. From over the pond.
2: Yeah. So of course, the the uh, the band had no money, but they they had. I guess the money they they had, they were going to put into production of the video, mm-hmm. and so um, so. I guess I don't know how many people they contacted, but a dozen of us agreed to be videoed. And what we didn't know was we—they asked us to go on camera and talk and laugh. We didn't know that eventually they would. There would be no audio for us. It would just be us, our lips moving or laughing, and yeah. you know the song playing in the background. And that was in 1994, I guess, and then it was released released sometime that year or later, and it was never a huge hit in the U.S. But I guess in England, they played it about once an hour. It is massive.
1: It was massive over here. And in fact, when we listen to certain radio stations, it's still on constantly. So we know it very well. and We love it.
2: Yes. And then we did um, 20 years later, I got a phone call from the band. And they said, we're going to do a remix and we're going to photograph or video everybody 20 years later. You know, just see what they look like and... Then the next line was, of course, there's no money in it for you, but <laughs> because some things never there. change. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I sent you guys an article from the local paper with the backgrounds of all the people in the video and the and the canals and and I actually did an interview with a radio station in England when they released the remix, and oh, okay. that's when I found out how huge a hit it was in in England and in, in, in Israel. It turns out, a friend of mine was in Israel. He was in the hotel room. He turned on the TV behind him just to have some noise in the room while he was unpacking, and he turns back to the television, and there's my face on the TV in Israel.
1: <laughs> and he goes, "Why are you on TV in Israel,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Frank? You've not aged a bit, mate. You've not aged a bit. You look I, exactly the same."
2: Well, I think of all the people in the video, and I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm bragging here. I think <laughs> I, I, I appear to have the fewest miles on me after 20 years. I. <laughs>
0: But you do look after yourself, though, don't you? You, you, you're, you, 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 you've got a real health regime, haven't you? Uh, Which is part of oh your. God. Your we'll get we'll get into that, won't we? We'll definitely. We'll get-
1: yeah. we, we will put a pin in that.
0: And we're definitely going to circle back because we are,
1: We we have done a lot of studying on you, and we're absolutely Oh boy, you've uh, you've, <laughs> definitely, you've definitely got us talking back here. So look, let, let let's get into it, shall we, Andy? Um, yes. Frank. So look, a comedian speaking about depression and suicide. Like,
2: how does that work? That is that is the elephant in the room. That is the thing I address oftentimes when I open up my keynote, is just that way. Okay, I know what you guys are thinking. A comedian talking about depression and suicide, how does that work? Uh, I think a comedian's a good choice for a number of reasons. Uh, one, I believe a comedian's job is, and always has been since the time of the court jester, to speak truth to power on behalf of the powerless. And I believe I speak truth to the power of mental illness on behalf of those often powerless in its grip. Uh, Number two, I believe where there's humor, there's hope, where there's laughter, there's life, that nobody dies laughing. And number three, depression, suicide, run in my family. It's called generational depression and suicide. My grandmother died by suicide. My mother found her. My great aunt died by suicide. My mother and I, I was four years old, found her. I will spare you the the, uh, gruesome details. It's in my first TED Talk called A Matter of Laugh, L-A-U-G-H, or Death.
1: You said that one to us, and we did watch that, and it was a real eye-opener for us, so yeah,
2: yeah. Oh, God. It was it was gruesome. And I came close enough to dying by suicide in 2010 that I can tell you what the barrel of my gun tastes like. Wow. Uh, and what happened was, I, I was a comedian for a long time, since 85, early 86, and I, I, I always wanted to make a living using my sense of humor and whatever, and make a difference. I just could never figure out how to that, how to make that happen, how any, How I had anything to say that anybody would care about or learn from. And then I read a book by a woman named Judy Carter. It's called, uh, the message of you. And here's the best subtitle I've ever seen, turning your life into a money-making speaking career. And about halfway through the book, I realized, wait a minute, I've got something to share. I've got a story to tell. I can, I can make a difference. And that's when I, with that book, and another one called Talk Like TED. I put together my first TED Talk. And I actually came out at that point. Nobody in my life knew how depressed I got that I had major depressive disorder and chronic suicidality. Uh, not even my wife. Uh, so that was my coming out as a depressed person. And, and, and the videos are going to load up just before Thanksgiving in 2014, I think. Mm-hmm. And my wife's about to hit play. And I go, hold on before you hit play i have about a half a dozen things i need to let, tell you <laughs> that you don't know and i don't want you to learn it from the video wow. yeah so i told her how how how, you know, how depressed i got what i believed i had as a diagnosis that i'd come you know within within a three pound trigger pull of any, any of my life
0: so why, why do, and, uh, by the way why, why do you think you didn't tell her beforehand i mean i mean do, do you was it- the shame of it, or was it? Uh, do you do you not have? Uh, I, don't, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know your relationship with your wife. You know what, what it's like, but I'm I'm guessing. You know, you 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 get on with each other and everything like that. But why did? Why do you think you didn't mention it before?
2: I think, uh, like a lot of people, uh, partly because I didn't. I didn't really. I had been experiencing these things all my life. I had my first suicidal thoughts in 1980 84 eighty three. When I was separating from my first wife, um, I had my first, you know, just bubbled up, on don't you just kill yourself? Mm-hmm. And I had been depressed for a long time, but I i really don't think I knew the – I didn't know there was a name for it or that's actually what was going on. Uh, I knew I, I was moody at times, but I didn't connect the dots yeah. until – until well, you know, we don't connect the dots for me was um, my cousin – uh, who's older than I am? Ten years older than I am. We were talking one time about my great aunt, you know, and finding her after her, you know, post suicide. And there was a family legend, as as that generation would often do, they would sugarcoat anything that had to do with mental illness. And so I was unaware of. I knew my grandmother had died by suicide, but didn't know the details. That I knew my great aunt had died by suicide. I knew I was there, but I had no conscious memory of what had happened. And so my cousin, as my mother would say, in his infinite wisdom. Uh, I said, yeah, when we found her, she had her hands folded in prayer, looking very serene. And he goes, folded in prayer, my ass. <laughs> okay. And he told the story that you heard me tell. So yeah. I guess I didn't realize until. And by the way, when he told me the story, all, all, whatever, whatever wall in my head was holding back all that information, those memories just tumbled. And I it took me right back to that moment at four years old. So. It's and funny the what second break thing out,
1: isn't it? It's funny what we broke out like that. Your mind is a powerful thing.
2: It really is. The brain the brain can wall it off if yeah. if if possible. Uh, my mom said I screamed for days. As a matter of fact, she prayed many times, you know, you, you know, dear God, please take ten years of my life, uh, if he can just forget he saw what he saw. So I guess the fact that I really, really wasn't I didn't have a name for what I was feeling. I, I didn't really understand the family history until my cousin cleared it up for me. And there's also that this happened just the other day. I'm in the driveway. My wife's getting ready to go to work. Um, I'm cycling down, you know, cause major depressive disorder, it, it lasts two two three days to two weeks and it recurs and I can feel myself cycling down. And I thought I'll, I'll tell my wife I'm depressed. And I thought, you know what? it's not going to make me feel any better to tell her that. And it's just going to make her feel worse. So like a lot of people with mental illness, we do it to spare our friends and family of the burden of, you know, knowing that your loved one is, is suffering at that moment. So a, a combination of things, I guess.
0: Wow. And I, I guess, I guess uh, a lot of stuff was happening at, at that time. Cause you were about to do the Ted talk, but I, I guess that, was a, that was a release, Telling your, talking to your wife about it. Did that really help from that point onwards then?
2: Actually, you know what? Um, I did a rehearsal version of the TEDx in front of the Chamber of Commerce. They called me. They didn't know what they were in for. They called me and they said, you know, tomorrow's meeting. The speaker is not going to be able to do it. Would you come in and do 20 minutes to fill the gap? And I'm sure they thought I was going to come in and do 20 minutes to stand up. And I said, sure, if I can do my like a dress rehearsal of my TEDx. So they said sure. So I go in. I've got my notes. Haven't memorized it yet, and I've got my PowerPoint slides. So I start, and I've got my face buried in my notes. I'm running the slides behind me. I'm not really paying attention to the audience. I'm just trying to get through, you know, the 18 minutes. When I get done, I look up. They're all standing. Half of them are crying and they're applauding. And I thought, oh, I I may be onto something. I uh, <laughs> that was it was a great relief to come out to the business community. And then to stand on stage in in Vancouver, B.C. and and come out to the world as a depressed person and, you know, with chronic suicidality. And every time I speak, I've said this many times, every time I speak, I get a little farther back from the edge because it's very therapeutic. And here's something I just realized in the last month, fellas. Now I can't kill myself. And here's why. (laughs) Because think about this. I speak on depression uh, and suicide. Um, I give people permission to give voice to their feelings and experiences surrounding depression and suicide. I, I, I start the conversation. I'm like the permission fairy. So if I kill myself, how many people am I going to take with me yeah. who never got a chance to hear me speak? Cause you know, it, I just did a thing in Phoenix and there was a woman there and I talked about my chronic suicidality. And she came up afterwards, and this happens every time, at least one person, sometimes more. She comes up, and nobody else can see her. I can see her face, but nobody else can see her face. She's very well put together. You know, looks like she's got it all the world by the tail. And there are tears running down her cheeks, and she couldn't speak. And I said, you have chronic suicidality, don't you? And she nods her head, and I go, you didn't know it had a name, did you? And she nods her head. And I said, and every now and then you're driving along, and you see a bridge abutment, you know, or a... A wall up ahead and you think you know if I just let go of the steering wheel right now I'd go right into the wall and end it all she nods her head And I said look I'm not a diagnostician, but I think you have chronic suicidality, And I think you should share everything, you know that you learned from me with your therapist and I said now here's the Here's the codicil to that Here's the warning do not tell them you heard it from the comedian. Tell them you googled it so it's conceivable if she had not met me and I had not spoken there, I believe I probably changed the direction of her life just slightly enough that she may live a full life and not you know, not end her life prematurely. So I, I can't kill myself now because I, I would take a, who knows how many people with me.
1: Well, do you know what? That, you know, um, it's amazing you said that because it's a similar sort of thing. We had this conversation together with Andy and now we've started to do a podcast and as men open up about it more. <clears throat> more and more people are getting in touch with us and talking about it and letting us know their, you know, their experiences of it. I don't know, like you, you've now got, a, well, you, you owe, you owe it to the world to stay alive. So <laughs> yes, it, it's on your head. That's a big responsibility.
2: You think? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know what mate. else is.
1: you opened up with wanting to make a difference. Well, there you go. You've done it.
2: Well, I have done it. i finally. Uh, I want to be a, not just a funny speaker, but a speaker who is funny. And I, um, I also have come to help normal people. And here's how: when, when um, two famous people died by suicide, roughly back to back, last summer, um, uh, the gentleman, the chef, um, yeah. Bourdain, Anthony Bourdain, Anthony Bourdain,
0: Anthony Bourdain yeah, yeah,
2: and Kate Spade. Um, so after they passed away. Uh, people, normal people, neuro, normal, neurotypical people have all all kinds of questions. And so I got Facebook messages and, and, uh, and text messages and phone calls and emails. It's like all my friends got together, couldn't figure out why two people like that with everything to live for would end their lives. And they said, you know, they got together and they said, well, Frank's suicidal. He'll know. So I became the the international spokesperson for those who are thinking about suicide because apparently they thought I had all the answers. Yeah. So, and I, I am able to c- clear up a lot of misconceptions. This is a big one. I can't believe he wanted to die. Well, you know what? Chances are, he did not want to die. I didn't yeah. want to die. I just wanted to end the pain.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so have you found on your travels um, that you 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 offend certain people? Get offended by you making jokes on on suicide um, or or Overall, does it sort of go down quite well as as it's sort of um, quite a, a unique routine?
1: Or as you intended to
2: be? Uh, well, you know, with comedy, there's always that danger. And, and I did radio off and on for a while. And we have a saying in radio over here that is, it's not what you said. And it's not what they heard. It's what they thought they heard. Yeah. So, um, you know, you could tell a joke. And you know who, who the butt of the joke is supposed to be. Yeah. But if they hear it in such a way, they think it's the reverse. They think you're picking on somebody who should not be picked on. Uh, Every now and then, somebody will bust me about making fun or making funny about people with depression and thoughts of suicide. And here's, here's what I tell my comedy students. You can make fun of any group to which you belong. Yeah, very true. So I tell people. I tell people, look, here's the deal. I am a card carrying dues paying <laughs> member of of two groups: people with depression, people with chronic suicidality. So I have earned the right. Um, the other thing I've gotten recently is somebody said to me, "You know, depression and thoughts of suicide are, are fashionable. Do you really?" <laughs> Do you? Yes, it's fashionable. I still really depressed and having thoughts of suicide. And here's how I stagger normal people backwards a step. I go, well, I, I'll let you decide. I can tell you what the barrel of my gun tastes like. Yeah. and That gets yeah. that, that, them get stuttering. Yeah. So, but that's rare. That's because if you know what I do and you know who I am, um, you pretty much know, you know, it's and there, with normal people, there is some nervous laughter in the audience. They kind of laugh at something I say funny about this. And then they stop like, should I be laughing about this? Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's not jokes. It's all, you know, I, I said, I put a gun in my mouth. Uh, in my keynote, I say to the audience, "Spoiler alert! Didn't pull the trigger." Gets a big <laughs> laugh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A friend, of, a friend of a friend of mine came up right after that, after I did the keynote, uh, and he goes, "Hey man, how come you didn't pull the trigger?" And I go, "Hey man, could you try to sound a little less disappointed?"
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh, that's that's what the funny is. That's
1: it. Look, Frank, go, going back to um, you said after those two people died last year, the two high-profile, the chef. Uh, of- his name escapes me.
0: Sorry, Anthony Bourdain.
2: Anthony Bourdain.
1: Yeah. Um. You said you uh, you became like a an unofficial spokesperson for these people, and you you started with a story about you know he just wanted to you know give up like you, you know he, just, he wanted to take the pain away. So for you, what what is it? What is a day like? Or for these people, what would you? Ex- how would you explain a day for a, a suicidal person? How would you explain that?
2: Well, I think. Um I think what pe- normal people doesn't understand normal people neuro normal neurotypical uh, people don't understand is well for example there's a movement in this country about you know teaching resilience and i did a show for the air force and they had a speaker at another base that day and it was all about operation resistance resilience i'm sorry operation resilience and i i said to the people i was talking to look I, it's not about resilience i'm sorry it, their hearts are in the right place but it's, I said. The, m- people with mental illness are some of the most resilient people, I know. Yeah. I said. I think what people don't understand, normal or neuronormal people don't understand, is the amount of energy and courage and 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 resilience it takes to get out of bed every morning, put your feet on the floor, paste on a smile, and walk through the world as if nothing is wrong until it's time a socially acceptable time to crawl back in bed, pull the covers over your head. And I said, it's also, I use a metaphor, which I didn't realize how powerful this would be until I did it in the TED Talk. I said, do you guys know the story of Sisyphus, the gentleman who was penalized by the gods for some sort of offense? I think he slept with Zeus's girlfriend or something. And they made him push a rock up a hill every day. And he'd get it close to the top and it would roll back down to the bottom of the hill every day. So every day there's a hill and every day there's a rock. I said, having a mental illness is like that. You wake up every morning, there's a rock and a hill. Some days the rock is small and the hill is not so steep. Some days the rock is a boulder and the hill is Mount Kilimanjaro. Yeah. And I said, for Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade, they woke up one morning and they were just, they were tired of living. They just simply could not move the rock. Wow.
0: So. Your so your um cause of your suicidal thoughts um you s- you, you say it's like it's a, a family it's a family thing it's it's genetic it's come down through fr- through generations um other people have suicidal thoughts because of maybe um a, a post sort of traumatic thing um other people might um uh, you know, there's there's there's, lo- there's loads of different reasons, but how how would someone like yourself, who f- uh, it's a family thing, it's part of your DNA, how can how can someone like you get help? How how can someone um, because obviously, you know, you must have gone at some point try to reach out to professional people, or are you saying that? <sighs> I've just dealt with with it myself and I can't get any help because there might be people listening to this that have got sort of like the same thing as you and it would just be interesting to know how you, um, you know, you've got help.
2: Well, um, what I have is called chronic chronic suicidality, which is relatively rare. Right. It means, for me, the option of suicide is always on the menu as a solution for problems large and small. And you guys have probably heard me say this. Uh, a couple of years ago, my car broke down, and I had three thoughts unbidden. I could get it fixed. I could buy a new one. Or I could just kill myself. That's the way people with the condition I have think. It's always – it's like music. I don't know if you guys are familiar with music. You walk into a store, there's music playing in the background. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you notice it. Sometimes you don't chronic suicidality is like that. It's always playing underneath whatever's going on. And if I have a problem or an issue, it just rears its ugly head. Like, Hey, why don't you just kill yourself? Um, I tell people first, you have to know you have something you have to know it has a name or you have to go, you have to know something is wrong. And I say, you know, you need to find a good therapist, somebody, you know, that you're it's, you know, it's simpatico that you, you, you have a similar, um, you know, you get along with that doesn't think you're malingering or you're just all in your head or well, you know, um, so find a therapist. And then if the therapist believes that the medication is indicated, then find in the U S you have to find a psychiatrist, to to prescribe. And the third step is they now have a DNA test, a cheek swab DNA test, and they try to match your metabolism with the. With the antidepressant, let's say that works best with your metabolism. So there's wow. a lot less experimentation. Yeah. Oh, that's new.
0: I go, don't think we, we don't have we, that we, here. Not, no. We don't have that here. No.
1: That's, yeah, that's
2: if Google, nice. yeah. If you Google, yeah. If you Google, yeah. I'm amazed at the number of people who don't know that. I learned about it four or five years ago at a at a uh, you know a uh, suicide walk. Um, if you type in um, DNA psych meds depression cheek swab. Uh, you'll find three or four companies it's a couple hundred bucks over here most of the insurances over here cover it it just helps eliminate some of the experimentation you know go on taper off, go on taper off um, and narrow down the number that would work best you know it's not a perfect science but it's it's getting better every day. so those are three yeah. things find a therapist if they recommend it find a psychiatrist for meds. I didn't take meds until I was 60. I used um, over-the-counter supplements. One's called Sam S-A-M-E. dash It's it's pr- pretty much good on mild depression as some of the older antidepressants, and that that carried me through a number of years. And then my wife, when I got to be 60, goes, "Look, you're 60 years old. For God's sakes, talk to your family physician and just say, tell him what, tell him what you know, what's going on, and see if he will." And he he prescribed something called Wellbutrin, which I'm not advertising Wellbutrin, but it worked for me and. Two weeks in she noticed the difference but didn't say anything three weeks in i had this thought for the first time since i'd been in high school this thought this thought bubbled up unbidden i like my life oh wow yeah nice. now i have a good life regardless you know i'm doing stand-up comedy and working on cruise ships you know people pay me to run my mouth I and mean, it's all good but i hadn't had that particular i like my life thought and i thought my next thought, fellas. Uh, after I thought that was what the f was I waiting for? Take me.
1: <laughs> Do You know what? I thought you were going to say. My next thought was, I like my life. I can even be happy, or I can kill myself. That's
2: what I thought, yes. what I thought you were going to say. Oh, yeah, that's right. Like I like my life, but yeah, I can just kill myself. So, so you, yeah, might as well, go out when you're on top. <laughs> you, you've
0: changed your life though, as well as well as um, I mean, because because you you left a job and. You know, you, you started this career doing the stand-up stuff. So, I mean, are you an advocate of making life changes as well as taking medication and things like that?
2: Well, my last TED Talk was called Suicide, The Secret to My Success uh, because I realized when I was married to my first wife, who's a wonderful woman, just not for me, selling insurance, great business, just not for me. I realized back then, this is 1983, 84, when I had my first conscious thoughts of suicide, I realized if I didn't... And I was not pursuing comedy, which I believed I was born to do. So I realized that I if I didn't, you know, if I didn't change something, I was gonna sooner rather than later kill myself. And then that was a, a an a, an empowering thought because I realized, look, I can divorce my wife, quit my insurance job, try comedy, which I believed I was born to do. If it works out, great. If it doesn't, hey, I could still kill myself. <laughs> That's a nice
1: game cut, is it?
2: Well, and I believe what I I've talked to a number of entrepreneurs and comedians, entertainers who had the exact same thought process in that there, I think that's what happened with Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade. Anthony Bourdain was in, um, he always loved food. His folks took him to Paris and when he was eight years old and he fell in love with food and all during high school, he was you he worked in restaurants and he went to Vassar, which is a great college over here. I don't know what program he was in there, but not culinary. And he was, he was working at two restaurants when he was in college and, I think he came to the point where he's thinking, you know, Vassar's great, my major is fabulous. I'll, I'm sure I'll get a good job when I get out, but this is not the life I'm supposed to be living, and I'm I'm depressed. Maybe he was suicidal, and so he thought to himself, well, wait a minute, I can quit Vassar, go to the Culinary Institute, whatever in New York, I, be you know, be a chef or whatever I've always wanted to be. And if it works out, great. If it doesn't, I can still kill myself. <laughs> And Kate Spade was working at Mademoiselle Magazine. She was the editor of like the accessories section, big-time job. My guess is she thought, you know, I'm not supposed to be reviewing other people's fashions. I'm supposed to create my own fashion line. If I stay here, maybe she thought to herself like I did. If I stay here, I'm going to kill myself. So why not quit the job, start my own fashion line? If it works out great, if it doesn't, I can still kill myself. So I believe what kicked that off for me, guys, was I read an article about entrepreneurs. One-third of entrepreneurs, regardless of survey it turns out, are depressed and having thoughts of suicide. Clinicians believe it's because little sleep, long hours, unmet expectations. That may be true for some, but I believe it may be just the reverse, that they're not depressed and suicidal because they are entrepreneurs. They are, in fact, entrepreneurs because they were depressed and suicidal and thought, what the heck? Might as well roll the dice. I'm going to kill myself either way. So that's that's the um, that's the 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 basic premise of of um, suicide. The secret of my success. Dead man talking. Yeah.
1: So I tell you what. And what I posted you... that. Oh, sorry. Go on, Karen.
2: I, I posted I posted my audition piece for that because sometimes they ask you at the TEDx to send a video audition piece. I posted my audition piece like five minutes on that topic, and I got twelve thousand views within like days. I thought, man, I'm apparently I'm onto something. Yeah. yeah. So. Amazing.
0: Yeah, go on. No, no, I, I, I had a question because, because, because I, I agree with that. Um, you know, uh, there, there's a lot of musicians. Uh, Cause I'm, you know, I'm a musician, and there's a lot of musicians who uh, are depressed and suicidal and have taken their own lives. And and, and uh, is it? Bec- uh, have they got to their sort of genius level because um, of their condition? You know, because you tend to find people like that. They they burn the brightest, you know. They 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 embrace. Then there's a, there's a lack of fear because they're living on the edge, you know. And and I guess that goes into all art forms, uh, really. Um,
2: well, um, funny you should ask. My uh, third TED Talk <laughs> was uh, <laughs> was was called "Mental with Benefits: The Evolutionary Advantages of Mental Illness." And because here's what happened, guys, I'm on the cruise ship, I'm meeting all these people, their parents, and, you know, they'd find out that I spoke on depression, thoughts, suicide. So they would, we would be talking about their children and, and oftentimes the child had bipolar, ADD or ADHD or whatever. And that was always the first paragraph about their illness. The second paragraph was invariably, but they're smart, they're funny, they're creative, they're talented, they're athletic, they're, you know, this. And I thought it cannot be a coincidence that these children with mental illness have this amazing set of mental ableness, you know, this sort of superpower. And so I did some research and the premise of my mental benefits was this. I posed the question, by the way, Ted put a disclaimer under my, under my face on the, you know, on the postage stamp. There is, there is no scientific evidence that uh, mental, mental illness, you know, has any, um, you know, uh, there, you know, there are any benefits to having mental illness. Um, and I, here's how I phrase it, though. I said, look, what if those of us diagnosed with a mental illness are not, are not living with a, a, a genetic mutation, but an amazing evolutionary adaptation? What if mental illness, as Malcolm Gladwell says of such things in his book, David and Goliath, is in fact a desirable disadvantage? You never wish it on anybody. but And I said, What if, if that's the case, what if we treated the mental illness, embraced, enhanced, energized the mental ableness. What would the impact be on a child if you could say, look, yes, you have a mental illness, but here's the good news. You have you have a set of superpowers your neuro peers cannot even dream about. Mm-hmm. I, be- I believe my, my complicability, timing, imagination, whatever is simply the flip side of my depression and chronic suicidality. It's just, it's the way my brain processes information. Uh, a friend of mine's got a joke about comics. They're two kinds of comedians, diagnosed and undiagnosed. Um, <laughs> so I, I, th- I think that that's what's going on is you, and, and I realized if somebody said, Frank, look, I got, I got a pill here, one pill, one dose. You take this pill, you'll never be depressed again. You'll never have another suicidal thought. However, your your brain will no longer process the world the way a stand-up comedian processes the world and I wouldn't take the pill I I I'll 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 deal with the you know the downside um to you know to I mean I ta- I take a, a medication but I wouldn't take a pill that would make everything you know go away if I lose, lose my, my my ability So it's almost Does that kind of makes
1: sense Yeah it sounds like you've almost sort of um You've got acceptance, haven't you? You've got acceptance, and you've seen it for all the benefits that I mean. Like, look what you've done. Let's let let let's rewind. Like you said, selling insurance, depressed, unhappy in your marriage. To now, fast forward, have many years, comedian, public speaker, TED talks, bodybuilder, author. All of which we're going to, you know, go on to. So, would you have done this without your mental health issues, without your suicidal thoughts? Uh,
2: that's a good question. I i, I don't i do not believe so uh i'm planning another ted talk guys it's called depressive realism and the premise is are people who are depressed actually seeing the world more accurately are people who are happy in fact <laughs> slightly delusional uh so i looked at my life and i'm sure in my talk on um entrepreneurs and, and entertainers in this you know um Uh, mental, uh, suicide, the secret of my success. I said, let's, let's say I had a twin brother and he also had comedic ability and he's married and miserable selling insurance and miserable and he knows he should be a comedian. Okay. Here's where it breaks down for normal people. He thinks to himself as a normal person, I could, I could divorce my wife. I could quit my job. I could try stand-up comedy. If it works great. If it doesn't, his next thought as a normal person would be, I would have lost everything. Well, the benefit I had was, um, I, I, you know, if I stayed put, uh, the metaphor I use is, let's say you're you're standing on the edge of a cliff. There's a brush fire coming up behind you. It's maybe a 10-story drop. There's enough water below in the lake, you know, to if you hit just right. You're not going to die. But you know for a fact if you stay where you are and the brush fire gets you, you're done. So I said to the audience, is there really a choice there? (laughs) You know, you're going to have to jump, which a normal person doesn't have that – the person I believe is most powerful in the world is the one with nothing to lose. I had nothing to lose by trying, yeah. whereas a normal person would lose everything. I
0: I I, I really agree with that because um, modern day living is 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 so tough. And and I mean, what we're trying to do in 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 our podcast is is make uh, sort of mental illness as normal as you know about talking about a cold or or you know or or a a grazed knee or something like that. And there should be no shame in it. And, and I think, you know, seeing a therapist, I think everyone should do it. Even if you think you're the most normal person in the world, because <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Because, yeah. because, because you need to get shit out of your brain and, and you, you might have your spouse, you might have a brother or, or, or something, but to have someone sitting there, like this neutral person who you can, who just takes whatever you that comes up and, and just takes that for a whole hour that's very unique, and it's very healthy thing to do. And and you're right. I mean, it's a bit like you remember that film, American Psycho, when you know a Christian Bale looking yeah. like this very. Amazing businessman, and then by night he, you know, he murders people, and and that's what I think about people that don't like say, you know, I I haven't well, no, I don't think that about all people. No, no, I don't think (laughs) all bankers are murderers (laughs) or anything like that. But I do think that that you know people that say, oh no, no, I'm fine, no, no, I've never had any problems with that. You know, I just think we've all we're humans. You know, we've all got uh, like uh, uh, something in us, like either a breaking point or a darkness, or you know, the world is very dark. You know, we 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 are human beings. We're not machines. You know, that's what I'm trying to say. And, and yeah, you know, I agree with exactly what you're saying.
2: Well, and here's the thing. Um, the reason we wrote the book, the guts, grit and the grind, a men's mental fitness manual is, I you the uh, forward, I did an audio version of the forward of the book, uh, by a psychologist who specialized in, in treating suicidal men. He, he liked treating suicidal men. Uh, his, 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 uh, he got most of his clients from referrals from other psychologists who are afraid that the man would commit suicide and the family would sue him for malpractice so um he says that men, men are unique in the in the fact that they tend let's they tend when they find a lump in their testicle they tend to wait too long to go in when they 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 wait too long for the first colonoscopy they mm. and they don't open up as women do to other women mm. about their they don't really know how anybody to talk to you know, like I said, be it a therapist or another person. They don't really open up to you know. You don't meet a guy at the Starbucks and go, "Hey, Bob, you know, I'm I'm depressed. I'm having thoughts of suicide. How's your day?" That's um, yeah. <laughs> not yeah. so. That, that's why we wrote the book because it turns out that men men are often willing to take advice from other men, and in their book there's 42 stories, 42 different stories, 42 different men, each with a a struggle, be it bankruptcy or gambling addiction or depression. Um, It's basically upstream, things are good. Midstream, things went to hell, and downstream, here's how I'm coping. So men can read how other men are coping, because Mm -hmm. men don't tend to talk. So so it's even worse for men, I think, not having a therapist, plus they don't tend to open up. To other men.
1: So this is the book you've you've got co-authors, haven't you? So there's Sally Spencer Thomas and Sarah is it Gare? How do I pronounce the name? Sorry, Gare. Sarah Gare, Gare and Sally Spencer Thomas. So you've you've written this together, haven't you? Put this together. And these are, yes, those, and, these are suicide prevention specialists, aren't they?
2: Oh uh, yeah. It's, um, Sally's a psychologist, and Sarah had the idea because she's a suicide prevention therapist, and she works mostly with first responders, which are mostly men. Right. So right. she went to the bar- She went to the Barnes and Noble to find a book on mental health for men, and guess what? There Nothing. Was, there wasn't one. Yeah, yeah. Not one. Uh, lots for women, uh, but um, but not for men. And in Australia, by the way, they have something called the Shed Project. You guys know the Shed Project? No, I haven't heard it. I think Shed in Australia maybe in England is what we call a garage uh, over here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know because. Because people do a lot of other work in the garage besides parking the car. They do woodwork. They do metal work. They whatever. Mm-hmm. So what they found was it's easier for men to talk to other men if you're both under the hood of a car and not looking into each other's eyes.
0: That's <laughs> so, so true. <laughs> it's a lot less intimate, isn't
2: it? It's, it's so, a lot less yeah.
1: intimate so, working on a machine. It's so true. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. And so whatever whatever your hobby is, whether it's woodworking or working on cars, it they find that men get together, and then like I said, you know, you don't have to look each other in the eye. You could be working on the carburetor, and he's pulling the spark plugs, and you're talking about what's. So you might might at some point uh, look up the shed project. Maybe get somebody from Australia to, to phone in for a podcast, and you know, yeah, tell definitely. us about the shed project. Um, definitely,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, as a, fi- well, we as, as a fisherman, I, I can agree with that. You know, I used to go fishing a lot with like fishing buddies and, and you'd be staring forward at your floats and that, you know, and then things would come out. You'd be really chewing the fat. But because you've got something to, you know, distract you and uh, and yeah. that, it makes it a lot easier to talk. It's
1: a lot less official, isn't it? It's a lot less official then, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. we're doing an activity. Yeah. The shed projects. Lovely.
0: Yeah. That's great.
2: Yeah. Well, and I find after, I, I'm sure I told you guys, I, I do my talk and then I do a little general Q&A for the audience because people have questions. They they don't mind asking in front of everybody else. And then I say to the audience before we start the general Q&A, look, some of you may have questions you do not want to ask in front of the entire group. Like, hey, I'm crazy. Can you help me? So uh, I, I tell the event planner, we need to set aside a spot where I can talk to people after the presentation, whether it's just me staying at the stage and people lining up. Uh, because they go, you think people will line up? Oh, yeah, people are going to line up. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, it's, you know, sometimes it's men who have never given voice to, to, I did a show for um, a big corporation, a big accounting corporation. I can't think of the name of it. But but afterwards, this guy came up, former Marine, uh, depressed. He fought it with the, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. This is what Marines do. We get through this for the longest time. And by me standing up there and you know exposing myself and being vulnerable, he felt comfortable to come up and tell me he had finally broken down and, and gotten some antidepressants and things were improving. Uh, but again, it's not the kind of thing he, he and I would have chatted about over a beer if he had not heard me say I had a gun in my mouth. So uh, that's, that, that's how we wrote the book. The book is these stories. And what we discovered is here's, – here's what we discovered in the research. We asked women what they thought men's problems were. And then we asked women what they thought men wanted in the way of help. And then we asked men what their problems were and what they wanted in the way of help. And it turns out the answers are completely opposite. Women have no idea what men's problems are, it, for the most part, or how they can help. So that was the the um you know the the reason for the book. And we figure not a lot of men are going to buy the book, but women will buy the book. And then flip through the index and find the problem that the man or men in their life has. And there's a lot of clinical advice, suggestions, and you hear stories of other men, what they're doing to cope. So we figured it'll be a, a big seller for women who have men in their lives that they're worried about. Yeah.
0: So we can get the call cool give, give us a the plug then. Where where can we find this? Uh, the, the book? Uh, all good retailers and online stuff and that, you know, if people want it.
2: Actually, you can find it in my Google Docs right now. It's not published yet. <laughs> oh,
0: okay. Sorry about that, everyone. We, we, <laughs> we, no, we
1: have jumped the gun a bit, but there is. Um, you are sort of running a competition. We can follow you on your uh, Instagram page, can't we? And if we like something and share it, there's a chance of a publication uh, being done in the UK. Is that correct?
2: Yes. We. I entered. I on a whim. I entered a contest. Um, I interviewed with a woman who had a podcast on on publishing and books and whatever. And I and she, got an email. Hey, we're having this contest. You know, you could win free publishing and promotion of your book. So I entered and we made the top seven finalists. And so if you you know, it's, it's, if we, the, whoever gets the most shares on Facebook and Instagram gets a, and we're going to publish it regardless, but, it but yeah, happen. it should be out. Yeah. I'm, I imagine um, it will definitely be out before April because we're going to the American Association of Suicidology national meeting. I would like to have copies there to begin promoting you know, handing out, yeah. handing out the book. And it's, it's, um, you know, the stories are about 200 pages and then there's 200 pages of, of information on how you can help on each issue. Wow. So it's
0: Sounds amazing. It's like, we need this book. We need it.
2: Said, <laughs> get it off yes, your yes, Google
0: uh, drive, get it off your drive and get it out <laughs> there for goodness sake. I think we could well,
1: just have Frank on every week. You've got like so much to talk about, haven't you? Like you don't stop. You
2: don't stop. I, I'm like a pull start lawnmower. You just pull the start long as like I got gas, I'm talking. Um,
0: <laughs> we've got well, to here's, the, here's the deal. Yeah, go
2: on. Oh you gotta wrap it up. Okay. Um, well, yeah, gotta, I,
0: yeah, 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 cause, cause, um we, we, listeners, I know you don't know this, but we we took about half an hour trying to get the connection right. <laughs> <laughs> so well, it's still not right, but anyway. Yeah.
1: One one more thing before we do wrap up because this one is the one that I think has got us most intrigued of all the amazing things that you're doing and will continue to do you're not just a comedian public speaker author to be oh, you've also appeared on man up men's mental podcast put that on your CV that's amazing yeah, that's the top that's a, I mean, yes that's a, but you're also a bodybuilder for crying out loud
2: <laughs> yeah well right. it was always on my it was always on my bucket list and uh at, you know I'm I'm slightly built uh, ectomorph at 20 years old I could never compete but I I waited until after I had turned 60 because by 60 gentlemen, most other men have given up. Yeah. So when I say I took third in Masters over 40, it, uh, what I don't tell people is uh, nobody competed for fourth or fifth. So oh. <laughs> they had to give me third. Uh,
1: Listen, ten- yeah, technical, technical, technicalities, mate. Technicalities, you're third.
2: And, yeah, and I, I hope to. I told my trainer I want to turn professional bodybuilder by the time I'm 65. And it's you know it's all part of my... Uh, we didn't talk about my cardio history, but I've got a, a rather extensive cardio history. So I was in the gym every day anyway, doing cardio and whatever for my heart. And I thought, you know what? I could just add a few pounds here and there on the, you know, on the machines and, and diet a little bit and, you know, and, and bodybuild. And so it's all, it's all part of my self care plan, meditation, medication. Oh, one thing before we go, my next TED talk, the one I pitched to Duke TEDx this, this past week, it's called "Um men, uh, Mental Health and the Orgasm. Treat your depression single handedly. <laughs> oh, yeah, it turns out there are benefits beyond just the obvious. And you know what, guys, I've been self medicating for years.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well I'm the um, expert, yeah. Professional. <laughs> professional, mate. professional. Oh my gosh. So are we gonna is there a Oh, you know, I'd love, I'd love you to come over here. Have you, have you ever been to England? I mean, do, or have you ever oh, considered yeah. doing some, some stand up here or anything like that? Or
2: uh, I've been to England. Um, a radio station sent me once. Um, I've been to England a number of places because I work on the cruise ships. Um, yeah. uh, a friend of mine was huge in England. A guy named Bill Hicks. Oh my um, God. Comedian. Yeah. Oh my
1: Whoa. God. Yeah. you we were, I mean, we were friends of Bill mate, Hicks. You kept that one quiet.
2: I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, there was a moment of silence in Parliament when he died. I mean, that's how popular he was in, oh, wow. in yeah. And he was the youngest person ever to do the David Letterman show over here at 18. I mean, he was a genius, yeah, um, troubled, dream. troubled genius. But, uh, there we go. Yeah. So I would love to come. I'd, lo- I'd love to come over and speak. You know, do um do the mental health comedian thing. I mean, there's no there's there's a great need as you guys know for men to come out and talk to other men and the women they love and give them permission to give voice to these things because silence kills.
0: Yeah. We'll make it happen. We'll 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 try and make some we'll we'll do a day like a big sort of uh, mental men's mental health awareness day and stuff and then we'll get you a part of the program or something. We'll we'll, we'll make that we'll make that a 20, 2019 uh goal. All How right. about that? Do You know what?
1: I'm in. I'm in. I mean, well,
0: of course you're in. I mean, you a choice have I? Have no.
1: I? <laughs> Listen, Frank. yeah, um it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you all the way from the other side of the ponds. You've been as we knew you would be,' you've been amazing, really insightful, and we're
0: really grateful. And getting up at four a m as well. Oh, it, that's, that's, that's that's amazing in itself, you
2: know yeah. well, I, I I set I set two alarms. I had coffee by the bed. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> I was not going to miss this.
1: Oh, thank you so, so much. And um, I think if I can, um, well, if I've taken anything from today, it's the fact that um, us mentalmen, we're actually superheroes.
0: We are superheroes, um, yes. We're like
2: X-Men. My, as my sis- as my, yeah, well, as my sister said, when I mentioned superheroes, she has depression and anxiety. She goes, superheroes, we're not X-Men, we're Xanax men. <laughs> oh,
0: God. <laughs> oh. Oh, on that note, thank you very much. Thank you.
2: My pleasure.